Well, the first thing I need to say is God is good and all the time and all God's people said Amen. I missed that. The author J. Alistair Brown once wrote of walking through a park in a large city and coming face to face with a massive oak tree. The oak tree was not the only thing that was massive. There was also a great mass of vines that had grown up all around the trunk of the tree. Though the vine had started small over the years, the vine had gotten larger and taller along with the tree. By the time Alistair had gotten there, the entire half of the massive tree was covered with vine creepers. The accumulation of tiny feeder vines was so thick that you literally could not see the trunk of the tree at all. It was quite clear that the tree was in danger. The huge solid oak was being taken over by vines and drawing life out of the, uh, out of the bark and out of the tree. But gardeners in that park had seen that danger. They had taken a saw and severed the main trunk of the vine with one neat uh, line across the middle. And while the tangled mass of the vine's branches still clung to the vine, excuse me, to the oak, the vine itself was now dead. It was apparent that as weeks and months would pass on, those creepers would die and fall away from the tree. Now, that huge oak tree being squeezed to death by the mass of vines is often the same picture we see in many people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. Professing that they have received the resurrected power of Jesus Christ in their lives, they slowly but surely get squeezed out through the vines of sin in their lives. And how easy is it for sin, which begins so small and so seemingly insignificant, how that can grow and get a grip and strangle grip on our hearts and lives. But the truth is that if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and the risen Jesus Christ truly does dwell in us, the power of sin can be cut away from our lives. While creeping the creeping vine of sin will continue to cling to us and grow in us to the detrimental effect of our hearts. There is a means by which we can be released from those vines. Now all through uh, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been exhorting us to, in the words of Ephesians 4.1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. God has sovereignly accomplished great things in us, and there's great things for us. And we have heard all the way through the book of Ephesians that we are being called to different walks. And we first, was, we first were, were confronted with the walk of unity, then the walk of purity, then the walk of love, and then the walk of harmony. And now in our text for this morning, Paul ends his letter by challenging us to walk in victory in what Jesus the Christ has done in our lives. But it's also said, and it's also true, that the victorious Christian life is strangely uh, absent in our culture today. We live in a time when 
So many people who claim to be following Jesus are so busy battling the issues of the world and the struggles of their own lives so that the real battle, the most essential issues of our lives in the deadly war all around us goes unnoticed and unbattled. These battles and issues have nothing to do with deadly viruses, nor racial equality, nor gender identity, nor some kind of organized covert deception to control and destroy the world. The real battles and the real issues, brothers and sisters, are of the, are of the kingdom of God. Amen? In Ephesians, Paul has been stressing this, this victorious life in Jesus Christ. He laid before us our need to submit to the authority of God so that we would know the resultant power of that unity and that purity and that love and that harmony. But today in our text, the rubber hits the road. As he closes, God, as he closes, God through Paul tells us that our walk will not match up with our talk if our walk is focused on our struggles rather than our victory in Christ. You see, beneath the surface of life, beneath the surface of our lives, there is a great unseen spiritual battle. Though Christ has risen from the dead to defeat sin, evil, and death, the battle continues. And it will continue until Jesus comes in in a cloud and takes us home for good. Through the cross, the dividing walls of hate and prejudice and bitterness have been broken down. But in the midst of that, the devil and his agents are currently still trying to build them back up. Jesus rose from the dead so those who receive him could live lives of purity and harmony. But there are powers in this room at this very moment that are fighting against that, sowing discord, conflict among God's people. Cotton Mather once said, God indeed has the devil on a chain, but it is a horribly long chain. Paul warns us, both warns us, and pleads with us today to walk in victory, the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. But sadly, a lot of people I know who are Christians don't even know what that victory is. Remember, this was Paul's prayer we saw back in Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 23, when he prayed for us to have eyes, our eyes of our hearts enlightened, so that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is the power, brothers and sisters, that we have been given by Jesus. Brothers and sisters, our walk on this earth is a walk through the battleground of the great war for our souls. And as long as we live, we will always be in the midst of a fight between Satan against God, evil against righteousness, hell against heaven, and death against life. 
And as we walk in unity and as we walk in purity and in love and harmony, we will be constantly confronted with contradictions of division, immorality, and hate and conflict because the devil and his forces are at work to take out as many as he can before the Lord comes back. Paul confronts us with that reality today when he brings his letter to a close. He proclaims to us this morning there are two great truths about what it means to follow Jesus. First, Paul explains that our lives will be embattled because we do have enemies who are trying to defeat us. And secondly, he tells us that we do have the weapons to win that battle. We read today that we have been given that power to overcome the enemies of our souls so that we can live the victorious life that God called us to. The first truth is if we are following Jesus, our lives will be embattled because we have enemies who not only want to defeat us but also destroy us. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Contrary to what many people think and act towards each other, our enemies are not each other. Our enemies are those that are things of demonic. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers in present darkness, spiritual forces of evil, he says. These forces of evil will seldom attack openly. They rather work quietly. They prefer to work in the darkness of the back rooms of churches and, and organizations and families in the world through prejudice and bitterness and gossip and criticism. The devil is a dangerous wolf, but he often enters the flock like just another sheep. Though he roars like a lion, the devil is apt to speak with a gentle voice. In order to deceive, he will use compromise and tolerance rather than conflict and con confrontation. My friends, we must take care to neither fear nor be ignorant of the devil's things he does in this world. Satan is like a hog-nosed snake, which is an evil-looking reptile that responds to danger in two different ways. It either impersonates a pit viper, coiling, striking, and hissing viciously, or if that fails, the hog-nosed snake will turn belly up, open up its mouth, and lay out his tongue and play dead. And if you pick him up, then he'll do the same thing. The snake realizes that if he cannot bluff the power of death, then he will mimic death. The evil one, like the hog-nosed snake, will take on whatever appearance he needs to to deceive us. That is our enemy. We read in John 8:44 that Satan is the father of all lies. The greatest lie that he, has, he, he, he pr proposes to us and the greatest lie that we sometimes believe is that he doesn't even exist. We deny, when we deny or ignore the reality of the devil, we are exposed even more to his cleverness. And the greatest failure we suffer 
as Christians at the devil's hands is in believing the lie that we can defeat him on our own. We cannot win it on our own. Just as Jesus said in Mark 14, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Way too often to those of us who claim Christ, we are defeated by the devil because we forsake the power of God in thinking that we are self-confident and strong enough to do so. This is why Paul says, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. By the power of the cross of Jesus Christ, the enemy was defeated and now must stand under our feet. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says that he, God, has put all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and gave it to Jesus, and the head is filling the church, and we are the fullness of him, all in all. We have that power. God gave Jesus the power and authority, then Jesus gives it to us. The invisible world of the spirit in which we are constantly being attacked is the very world that one Christ, Christ won over and reigns. And we're called to reign with him too. Second Timothy 2, we read, For if we have died with him, so we all shall live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Brothers and sisters, we must not allow the evil one to get a foothold in our hearts, in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our culture, in our world today. He would love to get in here this morning and screw this thing up. He would love that. The devil knows each one of us. He, he knows our soft spots. He knows our weaknesses. Yes, we do have the power to overcome the evil one, but we can't do it if he's deceived us before. A Haitian pastor tells of a man in his country who wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted to buy it very badly, but he was poor and he couldn't afford the full price. So after much bargaining, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the original price with one stipulation, that he would retain ownership of one small nail protruding over the door. The house was sold. A few years later, the original owner wanted the house back, <clears throat> but the new owner was unwilling sell. So the first over went out and found the carcass of a dead dog and hung the dead dog from that single nail that he owned. Soon the house was filled with smelly, rotting flesh and the family was forced to leave the house and give it back to the owner. The point said, the pastor, was if we leave the devil, even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making us unfit for life with Jesus Christ. In an article in um, Moody Monthly some years ago, a man wrote of watching a wildcat in a zoo. And he said, as I stood there, an attendant entered the cage through the door on the opposite side. He had nothing in his hands but a broom. Carefully closing the door, he proceeded to sweep the floor of the cage. He observed the worker had, had no weapon to ward off the attack by the beast. In fact, when he got to the corner of the cage where the wild cat was leaving, he poked the animal with his broom a few times. The wild cat hissed at him and then laid down in another corner. 
The writer said that he called out to the attendant, you certainly are a brave man. No, I ain't brave, he replied, and he continued to sweep. Well, then the cat must be tame. No, became the reply, he ain't tame either. If you're not brave and the wild cat isn't tame, then I can't understand why he doesn't attack you. The attendant chuckled, then replied with an air of confidence, Mr. I ain't brave and the cat ain't tame. He just ain't got no teeth. Brothers and sisters, we were created in the image of God. In Christ, we are children of the King. We have been given the power of God. And be, be encouraged, Satan has no teeth with us. With us, he has no teeth. Unless we give him teeth, by living nails of sin in our lives to hang his garbage on. It's time for God's people, I believe, to get open to the, to the movement of the Spirit in our church, in our country, in this world, to take, take it on, take it on. In Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10, we read that, For in him, Jesus, is the whole fullness of deity, and God dwells bodily and you, we have been filled with Jesus, it says, who is the head and rule of all authority. This is what we have. We're not brave. No, the devil hasn't been tamed, but his teeth cannot hurt us. We are full of Jesus. The Old Testament tells us that God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job, everything he possessed in the world, Yet in the midst of that darkness, Job said, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last I will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. Following Jesus will mean embattled lives because we have enemies who are out to defeat and destroy us, but Satan has no teeth for those of us who know Jesus. Amen? And we will have victory because followers of Jesus Christ have been given the weapons to win the battle against the enemies that are out to defeat us. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, Paul writes, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints, and also for me that words may be given me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Imprisonment for Paul in Ephesus was literally having an effect on what he was writing here. Chained to a Roman soldier, 
Paul uses the pictures of what he sees on that soldier to talk about the armor of God. This is the armor of God that we are to put on that we may stand, it says, withstand the evil day. First, we are read to stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. A belt was worn by soldiers for both to hold up their clothes and to carry their sheath of their, short, of their swords. In a culture where people wore long, flowing, kind of loose robes, to put on your belt means to bring things close to yourself and make sure that you make sure the things that are needed tied close to you and unneeded to be cast off. When truth is tightly tied to our lives, we can and will over sin, sin, and the evil. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. We are to cover our hearts with the spiritual protection of righteousness. The arrows of this life will find their, their mark if we don't cover ourselves. And brothers and sisters, our life in Christ is our protection because we have a relationship with the creator of the world. Regardless of the sharpness or force of the attack, a life of righteousness in Jesus will win the battle because the righteousness of his breastplate protects our heart. And in Christ, we are clothed in his righteousness. And even death has no power over us. As shoes for your feet, he says, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In Paul's day, when you put your sandals on, it meant you were ready to go on the move. Like, let's get going. There is a sense of urgency uh, among soldiers who are engaged in battle. They are in the midst of a struggle for life and death. And we are facing that same urgency. The unseen battle is a battle of life and death. Brothers and sisters, most of the people that we know probably are going to hell. But we are called to move into battle here and proclaim the good news of the gospel of peace in the midst of God, of the war we're in. Because Jesus has defeated the forces of darkness and brings to life those who are facing death. Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Paul writes, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. The word Paul hears for, the word here that Paul uses for shield denotes not like a small round shield, but just a full body shield that protects you from everything and, <laughs> everything and anything. Because one of the most dangerous weapons in ancient warfare are flaming darts, which was a large arrow tipped with pitch and set of fire. And to be shot by one of these things was concerned to be sure death. Um, the, flame, the flaming darts, and the, what this is he's talking about, faith is fully trusting in God. This sheet of, shield, of, shield of faith means the closer we are with Christ, the safer we are away from flaming darts. Take the helmet of salvation, he writes out. 
Nothing short, full of a full-sized axe could penetrate the helmet that a warrior uh, wore in Paul's day. A soldier's helmet protected his head, which is like the center, the core of his life. In the same way here, we read that our salvation in Jesus Christ protects us from the hardest blows going to the depth of our beings. Struggles and pains and sufferings may come upon us, but Jesus has saved us. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 8, that for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In the worst of times, in the biggest battles of life, our salvation in Jesus Christ is our victory. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Of the six pieces of armor mentioned here, the sword is the only one which is not only defensive, but also offensive. We read that in Hebrews 4, where God's word says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The truth of the word of God is, the truth of the word of God cuts and sharpens and hurts and exposes. And when Jesus faced the devil in the, de- in the desert of temptation, what did he do? He drew the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. In our battle with the forces all about us and the sin within us, our greatest power and weapon is the Word of God. But armor and even the Word of God itself will not be our greatest work, our weapon or our greatest help unless we take upon what Paul talks about next, which means praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is our greatest power that empowers all the other uh, weapons that we have. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. In her great battle against John Knox, Mary, Queen of Scotland, said, I fear John Knox's prayers more than I fear the army of 10,000 men. The embattled Thomas Lyde once wrote, I would rather stand against the canons of the wicked than against the prayers of the righteous. Thomas Watson was quoted once as saying, an angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched that angel. Just before his death, Abraham Lincoln wrote, there have been many days that in my own wisdom, all that was about me seemed insufficient for the day. At those days I have been driven to my knees in prayer by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Brothers and sisters, God has given us a number of weapons, our greatest being prayer, and we've seen that in this church. But if we don't pray, we will lose. And listen to all, all the different ways he talks about prayer. 
pray, pray at all times. So both regularly and constantly and in the Spirit, under the guidance and direction and the power of the Holy Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, which means in as many ways and as many forms as possible. Keep alert with all perseverance, always ready, always willing to pray, making supplication for the saints, praying for one another, and also for me, asking for pray prayers from one another. General Dwight Eisenhower once said, there are no victories at discount prices. Nothing less than praying in the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will bring victory into our lives over the darkness of sin and evil and death all around us. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our victory. Prayer is our power to overcome. That victory is ours when we pray. Though prayer may not rescue us from our circumstances, prayer will give us the power over our circumstances because the power of the risen Christ will lift us up in any and all circumstances, even death itself. 300 years before the birth of Christ, there lived a king whose name was Pyrrhus. King Pyrrhus was is famous because he was the first to test the long-established power of Greeks, Greece against the newly invasive power of Rome. At the first test, he led his armies against the Roman army at a place called Heraclea, where he won a great victory. But his victory came at a great price. So crippled were his men after the battle that they were unable to establish a foothold and he was forced to retreat. Thereafter, King Pyrrhus led his armies to a number of victories against Rome, but each time his men were so badly wounded, so severely crippled that they were unable to follow up on their advantage. At last, King Pyrrhus was forced to abandon his attempts at battle, and Rome ultimately won the war. The difference between King Pyrrhus and us, brothers and sisters, is that in Christ, we've already won the war. And so let's not be weary in the battle. Let's not be weary in the battle. Yes, life can sometimes be tough. The arrows of sin and fiery darts of the evil one are painful. But Jesus has risen. Jesus has won. Let's put on our armor. Let's claim the power of God. Let's pray. And then let's pray. And then let's pray. And then let's pray some more. Amen? We, we have a place waiting for us in heaven. A great wedding feast. Jesus has put that aside for us, and he's waiting for us there too. We are God's chosen people, and in him we cannot lose. And we've seen all the way through Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Jesus has risen. He's on the throne. He reigns today. And we reign with him today, right now in this room. We are a people of victory. So let's pray like that. And let's live like that. At the end of the Civil War, in the United States, a poem was found written by an unknown Confederate soldier whose body was found in the middle of the battlefield. In the midst of the dark and bloody war between the North and the South, this soldier opened up his heart before God in prayer, writing down his thoughts as he, see, 
he was seeking the power of God in his life as he felt overwhelmed by the struggle and by his oncoming death. He writes this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I may learn humbly to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I, among all men, are most richly blessed. Brothers and sisters, we, among all people, are richly blessed. Amen? Because Jesus Christ has won the battle for us with sin and evil and death. And in the midst of it, all these days that we're going through these battles of infection and a virus and all these things, none of these things are of the kingdom of God. Let's keep our hearts and our eyes in the right place. We are to walk in victory as Jesus walked in victory, from the cross to the grave, and then he rose to heaven. In John 16, Jesus tells us, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have, have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May our hearts and our prayers be filled with God's power and God's victory in the days ahead at Aerosmith Baptist. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have fought and won the battle and that we have victory over sin and Satan and the spiritual forces that work against us. Father, we, we are privileged today to be back in our church with you. And we bless you for that and we ask for your protection. We also ask, Lord, for an empowerment that we may move forward with this too. We praise you for providing the means by which we can live the victorious life for Jesus through the word of God and the constant, constant prayer. We ask you on this day that you would help us, empower us to take up the full armor of God and resist all the battle, battles and all the issues that the enemy brings into our life. And we praise you too that you are our sovereign God. And we bless you that there is nothing that can separate us from you who is in Jesus Christ. And that no one can defeat us through the almighty power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We give you our hearts and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.